My mind was turned this week to um, patriotic thoughts. Um, so we went to Harold's graveside um, and uh, saw the um, military salute. And uh, it was interesting because I was, I was standing between people who were in the military. And I'm not used to I've been around guns. Um, and uh, I'm standing between his... his David and here's Mike and and Wade and I've never been around seven guns shooting at once and and uh, and, and, and so I, I was I knew it was coming and I was not prepared and I jumped and everyone else just here's David standing out of tension like he's used to that and and Mike Mike didn't flinch I was like okay it's coming again I'm ready for it and I jumped again not as not as big I'm like still they just Stood there, no, no movement. I'm like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. It's coming one more time, and I, I think I blinked, and that was about it. But and no, like, man, that's how did they ever get used to that? I don't know. Um, but I, I'm not used to patriotic things like like in that sphere. I mean, I'm, I'm used to some patriotic thoughts. I, I grew up, and uh, like everyone, we memorized the Pledge of Allegiance. Pledge of Allegiance is kind of interesting for a little kid because. Uh, maybe maybe not everybody, but it's one of those things that you, as a kid, you memorize uh, things that you don't understand. You know, memorizing out of the King James Bible, like you you don't know half of what you memorized, you know. But but you memorize the words, and and I remember one part of the the Pledge of Allegiance that I did not ever understand, but I memorized it. I knew it, and I could never figure out. And I thought that they were saying it wrong. But I could never figure out one nation invisible. That just made no sense to me. What do you mean, invisible nation? I don't know. I don't get this. But I memorized it. One nation invisible. The teacher's saying it wrong, but I remember as a kid um, listening to songs that we would sing in church, and they had like this old poetic language, and and sometimes they used metaphors that I I couldn't understand. Remember the song "Bringing in the Sheaves," right? Remember that. Bringing in the sheaves, and, and it was a metaphor of, of teaching people about God and, and, and comparing people to a harvest. And I could never figure out why we were bringing in cheese. Why are we bringing in the cheese? I don't know, but we're bringing in the cheese. There's a little kid, a little kid that has a different perspective of things. And, and we get, uh, just some things are different. When we read this and read it and read it, uh, we have difficulty sometimes with our Bible. There's a couple of problems with our Bible. Not the Bible itself is, is fine, but we have a, a couple of problems with our English Bible. Uh, one uh, is that it's not the problem with the Bible, it's the problem with the English. English is the problem uh, for two reasons. First of all, um, when the Gospel was first preached. There were really no religious words. This is a testament to the the influence of of Christianity on language, that there are certain words that we kind of know what they mean, sort of, but we really don't know what they mean, because it's become exclusively a religious word. And we only know it within the context of religion. But when when, when these, these words were spoken, this was a new these were new ideas. And so they were communicated in everyday common language. 
And so, words like glory, well, we only use glory, really, in one context. And so we don't really define it, or grace, or holiness. Right? These are words that we, we have, and we, we use them only in a religious setting. You would never use those outside of a religious conversation. And so it makes our Bible different to understand sometimes. Like, oh, what's holiness? Well, we kind of have a definition, but we wouldn't understand it the same way that, that people then because it, wasn't, it was just an everyday, ordinary word used in conversation. And so when this message was brought to them, they understood these thoughts. Another problem with our Bible, and, and it, it's, it's not a problem with the Bible itself, the message is fine, but someone somewhere decided that we needed to have a way to locate things in the Bible. So they added chapters. Then someone else said, well, that, that, that's okay, I can kind of get the idea, but I want to know right how to get there. And so they added verses. Those weren't original. And that was done about 500 years ago. And here's the problem with the verses. They were added to a Greek Bible. And Greek is different from English. And, and, and Greek is like this, different languages in the world. And, and Greek does not follow our grammar. And Greek is kind of like Russian and there's some different languages where, where you can say the sentence in any order and they understand it, not English. So, so... In English, we're like subject, verb, direct object, indirect object. Please don't, please don't deviate from that or I'm kind of lost. But in Greek, you can have the subject last. And so what happened is when they, when they put these verses there, it cemented the grammar in the order that it is. See, if you go changing it now, you've got a subject that was in this verse, and now it's in this verse, and now you've got the... How do you memorize a verse? How do you tell what people to go to what verse, because it's now in a different verse if you put the, the thing in the right order. So now there's places in your Bible it kind of looks like Yoda wrote it. Right? Because it's all backwards. Because we've cemented it. So what I want to do, is our text, and we're getting pretty close to the end if you've been reading through the Bible, just got that revelation to go. Alright, this week and. I want to read 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1 is a beautiful, poignant chapter. Just, just very profound. But I want, to, I want to kind of take us back in time and read it. I, I've, I've, I've not changed it really, except I've, I've picked synonyms for words that, that might be our common everyday words. So that it can be understood kind of the way they would have understood this message for the first time. I've also kind of changed the grammar. So I have no verses on my page here. I've changed the grammar so that it's kind of like English. And not like Yoda. Right? So, so I'm going to read. You can kind of try to follow along in your Bible, but it might be in a little different order. And you might wonder where I went. And I'm going to read it the way it would have been understood. It says, from Peter, an ambassador of Jesus Christ, to the refugees who have been scattered in Pontus, Galatia, and Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who God could foresee would be his chosen ones, who are set apart by the Spirit so that you could obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May you have God's favor. 
And may His peace be multiplied to you. Give honor to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because His great mercy has allowed us to be born again to a hope that is alive through Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead. Now we have a permanent inheritance. It can't decay or fade away, and it's kept in heaven for you who are guided by faith through God's power to receive a salvation that is ready to be revealed at the end of time. This gives you something to be glad about, if only for a little while, because you have suffered many trials so that your faith can be tested and become more valuable than gold, which even though it's been refined by fire, it's, it's still temporary. And when Christ returns, your faith will result in praise and majesty and honor. Even though you've never seen Him, you love Him. And though you can't see Him now, you trust Him and you celebrate with a beautiful joy that is beyond words. As a result of your trust, you receive the salvation of your souls. Now, as it pertains to this gift of salvation that was going to be given to you, the prophets who predicted it researched and they investigated who the Spirit of Christ was talking about and when it would happen. When He predicted the things that Christ was going to suffer as well as the different honors that were going to come after. However, all that they were shown was that their message wasn't for themselves, but that they were your servants by means of the things that have now been announced to you by those who preached this good news to you through the Holy Spirit that was sent from heaven. And even the angels wished that they could understand these things. So then get your minds ready for action and be serious. Hold on to your hope for these gifts until the end when they will be brought to you when Jesus Christ is finally seen. Be like obedient children and don't adapt yourselves to the types of desires that you used to have before you understood. But be distinct in all of your actions just like the one who invited you is distinct because it is written, you shall be distinct for I am distinct. And if you call on Him like you would a father who has no bias when he judges everyone's actions, then, as long as you are refugees, behave respectfully, because you know that you are ransomed from unproductive lives which you inherited from your parents. You are not paid for with temporary things like silver or gold, but with precious blood of Christ, like the blood of a lamb with no defects or imperfections. He was known about from the very building of the world, but was only recently revealed for your benefit. And because of him, you believe in God who brought him back from the dead and gave him royalty so that your trust and your hope are in God. Since you have made your souls pure through the spirit by obeying the truth in order to have genuine love for your brothers, love each other passionately and with pure motives. Because you have been born again, not with mortal genetics, but immortal, through the continually living word of God. For it is written, all humanity is like grass, and all of its majesty is as temporary as a flower. The grass withers and the flower will shrivel up. But the Lord's message exists forever. 
And this message is the good news that was announced to you. A little bit different. That's kind of how they would have understood it. You see, there's no really religious words in there. I want to talk about this concept of not being easily understood. Kind of like being a kid and not understanding all the things that you're here. God had, as he says, God had this idea before the foundations of the world and he started giving a little bit at a time. He started talking about what it was going to be like. And it's difficult to understand in some ways. It's not about church buildings, but it's about people. It's not about rituals, but it's about the relationship. And most specifically, as he's giving these messages, he's talking from the very foundation of the world, from from Genesis, from the garden, he's talking about Christ. And so he's giving these messages to people. And it starts out very vague, if you'll recall. You go to Genesis chapter 3, and, and the first prediction of Christ is kind of vague. And it gets a little bit more specific as he goes. I mean, by the time we get to Isaiah, there's a, a pretty clear picture of Christ and his, his death and his sufferings. Yet, the people who wrote these things didn't understand it. It says they they researched and they investigated who it's talking about. And my favorite one, when. You're driving somewhere and, and the question comes up. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? No, we're not there. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And that's the, that's the picture of what he's saying. These, they wanted to know when. Listen, I, listen, Ezekiel, I will turn this thing around. Right? Stop asking me when. He says, it's not for you. You are merely servants of people in the future who are going to be there and, and, and see this. It's kind of interesting. I was... I was uh, watching the thing about butterflies and um, their migration. And uh, the butterflies you see right now will take off at some point in time if they haven't already, and they will go to Mexico. And it will take three generations for them to migrate back here. So the next year, you will see the great-great-great-grandchildren of butterflies from, from several years ago. It's interesting. It takes, like, they'll come up a little bit, and they'll have, and then, and it takes this migration. And it's like, wow, and only one, we only get to see the one. The, 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 these three generations work for this one amazing event. And that's kind of like it was in the Old Testament. All these, all these prophets, and they were working hard, and they were doing one for this one great event that they would never see. But it's not just the people who didn't understand. He says, angels don't understand it. Angels wish that they could understand it. It's like, wait a minute. An angel? 
Angels are so much more powerful than we are. Angels are so much more wise than we are. They have so much greater perspective. Yes, but you know what they don't understand? They don't understand the idea of second chances. Because they don't get second chances. They don't get do-overs. And they don't have the ability to comprehend. They, they look at us. They don't comprehend how we can trust in something that we cannot see because they can see. I mean, we look at them and we, we wish that we had the ability to walk into the throne of God and look at God and see Him like they see. That's an enviable position. We'll, we'll get that one day. But they go, man, how impressive is that, that they can trust in something that they can't see. That's just, that blows an angel's mind. Your position makes an angel go, can't grasp that. Things which angels desire to look into. How fortunate then it is to be us. Never think about that. I have a better position than an angel. We don't think that way. How fortunate. is We always think about the people. If I could be, so I would like to go back. I wish I could be and see this. And, and we all, always think about the people that we could be and see and the times we would like to live and all that. And the entire history of the world wishes they could be us. The prophets wish they could be us. And the angels wish that they could be us. We have an enviable position. I want to talk about the, the, the difficult position, though, of the people that Peter wrote this to. Because he says, you just missed it. Sorry about that. You just missed it. Because here's Peter. And they, they, they looked at Peter and they said, you're an eyewitness of these things. Peter saw Jesus Peter walked with Jesus. Peter touched Jesus. They just missed it by 30 years. Imagine being that close. I heard a story about a guy that just missed getting into special forces. Um, he was, uh, the, I, I don't even remember what branch it was um, of the military, but whatever it is, he was taking this, taking this, uh, the physical training to get into the, I don't know if it was Army Rangers or Navy SEALs or whatever it was, but they made him do this, this, this obstacle course, and they did it, and at the end of it, they had to do one push-up, or one, one chin-up. That was all they had to do, one chin-up. And, uh, and he was, gets on the thing, and he got, this, he, couldn't, he got one inch. He said, my, my chin was one inch, and I had no more strength. He said, I literally came one inch from getting in and I couldn't do it in the can you imagine being that close you're like oh come on I'm so close these people were so close I mean think about Jesus has been waiting for thousands of years to come and oh you missed it that was 30 years ago <sighs> how enviable it was to be Peter and they get to be and now and those people lived, okay, so they listened to someone who saw Peter. 
Well, and then they died. And now, well, we knew the people that knew the people that knew Jesus. We knew the people that knew the people that knew the people that knew Jesus. It's it kind of, oh, man, how close, how close. They had a difficult position. But he says, even though, he says, you have a great position. Peter says, even though you've never seen him, you trust in him. You love him. You believe in him. You've never seen him, and you're never going to see him not here. That opportunity has come. Remember Jesus told the apostles, Oh, you believe me. Wonderful. Wonderful, Thomas. You touched me. Wonderful. Blessed are those who will believe in me even though they can't see me. That's impressive. We have an enviable position because seeing Jesus was a little bit difficult because what about when you see Him and then it's taken away from you? That's difficult. That was difficult for them. That was hard for them to get over. Blessed are those who believe in me though they have not seen me. So Peter tells him, you have an enviable position to be able to, to never have seen that and yet trust in it and to love. To love. Who do we love? We love people we know and we've seen from the time that they were young, right? Our family. Or, or from the time we were young. I've known my mother from the time I was born. And, and, and we love the people we've known. And the greater love that we have is to the people that we've seen more. Right? And, and, and Peter says, blessed are you because you, know, you love and you've never seen him. How do you love somebody you've never seen? That's difficult. We have a difficult position because at least those people, those people back then that Peter was writing to had somebody who had seen Jesus. We don't even they had somebody they could talk to. So, so, I mean, imagine the stories they heard. Imagine the stories that aren't in our Bible that Peter was, you know, just sitting around chewing the fat. And says, so there was this one time, and uh, we prayed this practical joke on Jesus, and then he did this, and then he did this other thing, and, you know. It, I can, can you imagine the stories they must have heard? And we don't have that. We have what we have written. We have an enviable position. Because the less you have available, the greater your trust in Him and the greater your love in Him says about you. You have an enviable position. But He has some encouragements. He has some things to say about us. He says, be serious. It's not a game. It's not just a fun thing we do. He says, get your mind ready for action. The other night I uh, picked up Benjamin from football. And uh, so I got there a little early. And uh, Wes was beating the stuffing out of them. 
I stood on the sidelines kind of behind them and, uh, and just waiting for the thing to get over. And there was one play in particular. Uh, so I was right behind the fence. And um, this guy, just the way the play happened, I was kind of in line with the play so that the, the, the I think it was a running back, either receiver running back, ran this way. And the guy that from, from south was trying to tackle him, was kind of like right in the line. So I saw it, not from above, and there was some guy up there, hit him! Right? And, and I was like, you want to be down here looking at it, because it's a little bit different. I, I just kind of saw it, like the guy was running at me, and for just a second my heart went up in my throat, even though I'm behind a fence. And I'm like, I would not want to be in front of that, trying to stop this. I could kind of feel that decision. This guy had to make the split decision, and he's doing this, and, and you've got to make the decision and hit him, or you're going to hit him, uh, and you can kind of brace yourself for the impact. And you can see this, this defender trying to like, brace himself, and I've got to make this hit. You know, and and all, you can just see the whole thought process. And it's, you've got to do it in a second. He says, get your mind ready for action. You've got to make a split decision. Make yourself ready to make the right decision. What will you do when that opportunity presents itself to do right or to do wrong? Prepare yourself. Think these scenarios through. Get your mind ready for action. Be serious. He says, do not adapt yourself to the world's desires. It is so easy to just kind of slide in to the behavior that is accepted and also expected. There are often behaviors that are expected of us. To be, to be a part of the group, to, to not make waves, just kind of go with the flow. Ready? Just don't go with the flow. Be distinct. Be holy. That's what it means. Be separate. Put yourself in a separate place. See, they're gods. He says God is distinct. God is separate. God is different from, from all these other gods. In the world, they, the, the Greeks believed in all of these gods. And you go and look at the things that their gods did. And their gods were horrible. You can't even talk really about the things that their gods did. They were so horrible. God says, I'm different. You read mythology and read what they believe that their gods did. It's disgusting. God says, I am different from that. I have moral expectations, and since I am different from these things, you be different. If you act like them, then it's like you kind of belong to their gods over there. Don't belong to their gods over there. Belong to a god... That is distinct and separate and different. Because if I'm not distinct and separate, people can't tell the difference. People will never want to know what I have if what I have hasn't changed me. God has expectations of me. Do not involve yourselves in the things that they out there require of you or will allow you to get away with. And he says, this is the good news that has been announced to you. 